Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And it is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Thank you very much, Sue. Good morning to you all. Very good uh, to see you uh, here this morning. Please would you keep your Bible open there at 1 Peter chapter 4, page 1220. Uh, We'll be looking at that in a moment. But just as we turn to God's word, as we always should when we turn to his word, uh, we're going to pray together now. Let's pray. Father, as we come to look at your word now, we need your help. So please would you give us a great clarity into what you're saying here and into the difference it makes for our day-to-day lives. Fill us with love, we pray for Jesus, and ignite in us a desire to live for him. Amen. God has a wonderful plan for your life. I can tell you that on the sure authority of the Christian fridge magnet industry. Uh, I don't know if uh, any of you own Christian fridge magnets, but don't worry if you don't. This is basically how they go. Uh, You take a cute, inspiring, or relaxing image that vaguely relates with a Bible verse, put the two together, and hey presto, you have a certain-to-sell Christian fridge magnet. So, for example, we take a picture of a cute lamb in a nice green field, and, of course, Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or someone standing on a hill, silhouetted against the sky, with their hands triumphantly up in the air. And of course, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. How about a freshly painted red and white lighthouse on a stunning coastline? Psalm 20, you've seen them, haven't you? That's why you're laughing. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Very clever, light, lighthouse, see what they've done? Here's one, um, an old couple... Um, who have aged spectacularly well, walking hand in hand along a sandy beach, laughing together. And to finish it off, 3 John 1 verse 2, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. See, you can take it from the fridge magnets. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Now look, I don't feel that if you own any of those that you have to rush home and throw them all in the bin. Uh, If they're quoting the Bible, uh, they're doing something right, aren't they? The problem is the selectivity with which those verses are chosen. All the bits that sound uplifting, nothing that sounds hard. That kind of fridge magnet view of the Christian life will leave us totally unprepared for the reality. 
You see, if we seek to live the Christian life in the way that we were thinking about last week, outlined in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, that is, abstaining from sinful desires and living good lives among the people, not withdrawing from the world like a, uh, um, uh, not, sorry, blending in with the world like a chameleon, but being distinctive, not withdrawing from the world like a tortoise, but being present in it. If we live that kind of life, being distinctive and present as we speak of Jesus, we will suffer for him. We will suffer for him. It was while as a student here in Sheffield that I was explaining the gospel with a friend of mine, a course mate. I thought it was going quite well uh, until he looked me straight in the eye and said, I hate you and what you believe. That stung. It was in the office with some colleagues where I worked a few years ago that I said, um, uh, after being questioned about it, I said that I was hoping to become a Christian minister. And several of them immediately burst into laughter and the rest of the shift was um, comprised of different jibes at me. I'm over it now, but it was pretty unpleasant at the time. It was in another job that some colleagues began to freeze me out of the group um, that they were in because I wouldn't join in with uh, language or jokes that objectified women. None of that made it onto the fridge magnets, you see. If you're seeking to be distinctive and present in the world as you speak of Jesus, you'll have or will end up having examples of your own where people have no longer wanted to be your friend, where you've had a promotion withheld, where a uni lecturer or your boss has demeaned you in front of others because of your faith, where a neighbor you're inviting to carols by candlelight angrily says they're not interested in church, Someone's uh, told you that what you believe is evil or just plain stupid. One-off things like that, or perhaps, perhaps the ongoing distance being a Christian creates between you and someone you love and the pain that goes with that. What are we to make of experiences like that? The fridge magnet view of the Christian life gave me quite different expectations. So what am I to think? Has God let me down or left me? Have I got it wrong or gone off course? I thought God's plans were to prosper me. What's going on? Well, the verses we're looking at this morning were written by the Apostle Peter to Christians in just that situation. They were discouraged because they were suffering unjustly for trying to live the Christian life. And Peter explains in these verses why suffering like that shouldn't discourage us, but rather it should encourage us, even embolden us in being distinctive and present followers of Jesus in the world. Let's see what he says. Look down with you at verse 12. He says in verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. He says suffering for being a Christian isn't something strange. It's the normal Christian experience. What should actually surprise us is when we don't suffer for being Christians. In this country, we've got used to not suffering for being Christians because we've had hundreds of years of Christianity being widely believed or at least respected. And now, as we come out of that unusual period of history, we're discovering more and more of what is really the normal Christian experience. Travel outside of the Western world, and Christian suffering is just the normal thing. In the Middle East, right down northern and and eastern Africa, Uh, In China, India, North Korea, the Far East, Indonesia, I could go on. That's the normal Christian experience. And so surprise isn't actually the right reaction to such suffering. Instead, he tells us of a different response. Look down at verse 13. Don't be surprised, but rejoice. Rejoice? What an extraordinary or perhaps 
just ridiculous thing to say to people suffering unjustly for Jesus. It sounds, doesn't it, rather like Peter is at least being rather pastorally insensitive, telling suffering people to rejoice. How can he tell us to rejoice? Well, how he can say that begins to make more sense as we look more carefully at what he's saying in verse 13. He says there, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. He's saying to the extent that you participate or share in the sufferings of Christ, rejoice about that. What Peter means when he's talking about participating or sharing in the suffering of Christ isn't the specific sufferings that Jesus suffered. Jesus died on a cross, but I can't somehow experience the pain that Jesus experienced. No, but rather the sufferings of the Christ is biblical language for a planned and predicted period of suffering that would begin with the first coming of Jesus and end with his second coming. A period of suffering that we are now in. Those sufferings were called the sufferings of the Christ because they're connected with his first and second comings, you see? But Peter isn't talking about every kind of suffering that we could experience. Sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves by how we behave, by being dismissive of others or proud in the way that we speak. That's not suffering for being a Christian. Actually, that's suffering for being unchristian in our behavior. And it's not what Peter's talking about here. Look at verse 14 for a moment. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. I've been guilty at times of being quite unpleasant and then thinking I'm suffering for Jesus. No, no. What Peter's talking about is suffering unjustly for following Jesus when we haven't done anything wrong. And he says, to the extent that you suffer, uh, you share in this planned, predicted period of suffering for Jesus, rejoice. Rejoice that you share in the sufferings of the Christ. But the question still stands, why should I rejoice in that? And the answer is because it means you're on course to be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Look down at verse 13 again. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There's a day coming when Jesus will be revealed. He'll return, we'll see him, and this period of suffering for following Jesus will come to an end and we'll be overjoyed. Overjoyed because when he's revealed, we'll see him and be with him at last. Sometimes I have to go away for a conference for a few nights. Um, And uh, because I have two young kids, if I'm honest, to begin with, it feels quite nice uh, getting away. Um, I can do um, things that the rest of you do the whole time without thinking about it. I can sit in a chair and read a book. And no one stops me. And when I finish a page, I can just turn the page and carry on reading. If I want to, I can take a sip of my tea and just calmly return it to the coaster. It's all very civilized. If I try anything as self-indulgent as that at home, my boys see to it very quickly that I end up sponging the tea off the sofa and drying the book with a hairdryer. And so to begin with, I really enjoy being away. I get a good night's sleep, maybe a cooked breakfast in the morning. All very nice. Give it 24 hours, and I'm beginning to miss my wife and my kids. Maybe we have a Skype or a FaceTime chat. That's nice, but it's not quite the same. And so increasingly, through the conference, I just kind of want to go home and see my wife again. So as I travel back on the train or in the car, as I get closer and closer to home, I begin to feel happier about that. And the great moment is when I walk into the house, push open the lounge door, and then reveal her there, mopping up the tea on the sofa and drying a (laughs) book with a hairdryer. No, uh, it's obvious, really, if you love someone, you want to be where they are, don't you? 
All the others, other pleasures of life become dim and unsatisfying because what you really want is to be with them. Rejoice that you share in the sufferings of the Christ, says Peter, because they are evidence you're following Jesus. And friends, if we keep following Jesus, you know where we end up? Where he is. And you know what the great thing about being where he is? He's there. He's there. And suffering of every kind isn't. For the Christian, they'll be rejoicing without limit. We'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed because at last we'll see him and be with him. And that will be joy like you and I have never known. Peter's telling us here that we shouldn't be surprised, but we should rejoice when we share in the sufferings of the Christ. Because there's a planned pattern to the Christian life. Suffering, then glory. So suffering for following Jesus is a sign you're on the right path. Just as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz was told to follow the yellow brick road to the Emerald City, so Christians follow the path marked with suffering with the promise that it leads to a city of greater glory. So I rejoice, do you see, I rejoice not in spite of my sufferings, because there's a consolation prize at the end, but I rejoice in the very fact of my sufferings, because they in themselves are evidence I'm on the right path, and I know where this path ends, and it's somewhere that I desperately want to be. Let's be clear, this isn't a call to have a stiff upper lip. I don't have to pretend that suffering isn't sad, but I can rejoice because of the evidence it is that I'm on a path to somewhere truly happy. Do we have permission to weep in the face of unjust suffering? Yes, we have permission to weep, but we also have a reason to rejoice. Because if I have a share in Jesus' sufferings, I'll also have a share in his glory. I know a couple who, back in the 80s, bought shares in a number of uh, companies as part of an investment portfolio, including some shares in a relatively small tech firm in the U.S., and as is usually the case in these things, and as you expect, uh, these shares kind of went up and down a little bit in value. And, but actually, this investment in the U.S. tech firm, it looked like it was probably quite a bad one as the shares kind of went down, the CEO was forced out, and it kind of all went haywire. Anyway, to cut a long story short, this, um, this tech company um, that they invested in, you might have heard of it. Uh, it's called uh, Apple. Um, since the 80s, their share price has skyrocketed by over 1,000%. Back in August, they became the first company in the world to have a market value of over $1 trillion. That's $1,000 billion. And those friends of mine, <laughs> those friends of mine, well, let's just say, their house has a lift in it. Um, <laughs> and I'm not talking a Stanner stair lift. I mean a full-on lift. And something I'm quite sure about is that as they take the lift to the top floor of their house, they're not standing there thinking, you know, I wish we hadn't bought those shares in the 80s. For a long time, having shares in Apple didn't seem that exciting, didn't seem like a good investment. But today, everyone wishes they'd bought shares in Apple in the 80s. Right now, having a share in Jesus and his sufferings doesn't seem like a clever move. But oh my, oh my, it is. Because if we have a share in his sufferings, we'll also have a share in his glory. When Jesus is revealed, everyone will wish they had a share in Jesus. So when we look at our sufferings for him, we have a reason to rejoice. Because they're evidence that we have a share in Jesus now. And if we have a share in his sufferings now, we'll have a share in his glory then. Don't be surprised Rejoice that you have a share in the sufferings of the Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
It's important for us to notice as well those words, so that, in the middle of the verse. Do you see that there in verse 13? Have a look. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of the Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Somehow Peter's saying that being overjoyed then depends on our rejoicing now. That's because if we don't rejoice now, the alternative is to recoil from suffering for Jesus, to walk away and stop following him. And if we give up on Jesus for fear of suffering, the great tragedy is that we'll miss out on him. But Peter's point is if we rejoice that we have a share in Jesus, we'll keep following him. And if we keep following him, we'll end up where he is. Rejoice so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This is the normal Christian life. Suffering unjustly, rejoicing in it, continuing to follow Jesus, receiving glory in the end. So when you suffer unjustly as a Christian, don't sell out on Jesus. Stay invested in him because a day is coming when you will share in his glory. And on that day, you and I, we won't regret having had a share in Jesus. Peter didn't always get this right and neither will you and I. On the night before Jesus died, Peter was ashamed of Jesus, denying three times that he even knew him. So if you've screwed up in this, know that the rest of us have too. And that Jesus doesn't hold your mistakes over you, but he is quick to forgive. But also see that Peter isn't spouting ideas he never lived out himself. Because he did eventually learn to rejoice in suffering for Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, he and the other apostles were arrested for sharing the good news of Jesus and hauled before the religious court called the Sanhedrin. And after being questioned and intimidated, it said they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Rejoicing. Bleeding, but rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. You see, they were rejoicing because they had a share in Jesus. You see, it's not just a theory. He lived it. And it says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. They rejoiced and continued to speak of Jesus, being distinctive and present in the world and among people because they knew they had the most valuable share that anyone in the world could have, a share in Jesus. Tomorrow, when colleagues take cheap shots at you because of your faith, it won't feel nice but rejoice that you have a share in Jesus. When that neighbor you've invited to Carol's slams the door in your face or stops talking to you on their way past, it'll be upsetting. It's okay for it to be upsetting, but rejoice that you have a share in Jesus. In the next couple of weeks, I know that some here will spend time with family who hate that you're a Christian, hate what you believe, and make that very clear. For others, that's not just a Christmas thing. You live all year round with someone that you love but who hates your faith. And that will hurt deeply. But rejoice nonetheless that you have a share in Jesus. At work, at uni, at home, in your family, on your street, if you and I live the Christian life being distinctive and present in the world, we'll share in the sufferings of Jesus. It won't be easy. We have permission to weep, but we also have a reason to rejoice. In the Christian life, this isn't strange or out of the ordinary. It isn't a sign that God has let you down or left you. No, look down at verse 14 for a moment. 
If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. God hasn't left you. Your suffering is a sign he's with you. This is the normal Christian life. We're in a planned and predicted period of suffering. This is the end game. There's suffering, then there's glory. We bear the cross before we wear the crown. As it was for Jesus, so it is for those who would follow him. Dear friends, don't be surprised as though something strange were happening. Rejoice. If you're not a Christian here this morning, it may come as a bit of a surprise to you to hear that many Christians, even in this country today, regularly get it in the neck for following Jesus. And around the world, it's far more common. But being a follower of Jesus is brilliant, even if it involves suffering for him, because we love him. And he's promised us that one day we'll be where he is and where suffering of every kind isn't. That isn't a fanciful hope that we plucked out of the sky to help us get through life. It's a reasoned hope. It's not based on the idea that we've been good enough for God and that he's going to give us heaven for that reason. It's based on the belief that the baby whose birth we celebrate at Christmas went on to become a man, the most excellent man you could ever meet. He lived a perfect life, never doing anything wrong because he wasn't just a man. He was God in human form living among us. A seemingly crazy claim, I know. But one he repeatedly proved in ways that no one could dispute. And then he suffered unjustly by being executed on a cross. People killed him for a variety of reasons, but he allowed it to happen for one, for love. By dying on the cross, he took the punishment that our crimes deserved. The innocent died so that the guilty could go free and live, never facing the consequences for our wrongdoing. He did it for love. And he proved it all worked by rising from the dead three days later, promising he would take his followers through death as well to a glorious future with him. Another another crazy-sounding belief, I know, But Peter was one of those who saw it, was persuaded that the impossible had really happened, and believed. He and his friends, those first eyewitnesses, wrote down what they saw, and we have it in the Bible. And then they lived and died announcing the good news of Jesus, bleeding for it, but rejoicing. We who call ourselves Christians are simply those who have taken up that belief in Jesus and taken up that hope for the future. If you're at all intrigued... Um, or want to know more, speak to me on the way out. Come and join us for our Encounters course, which starts on the 29th of January. There are flyers around the building um, to tell you more about that. We would love to tell you the reason for the hope that we have, um, if you're intrigued by that at all. And finally, if you're a Christian, do you realize that we're only gathered here this morning because a small group of unremarkable Middle Eastern men actually lived in the way described in 1 Peter? They were distinctive and present in the world, and when they suffered and bled, they rejoiced for having a share in Jesus. They shared the gospel with their lips, and they declared the gospel with their lives, and countless people heard and saw and believed. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Be in no doubt about that, but don't fall for the fridge magnet view of Christianity. Don't airbrush out the hard realities of the Christian life. His plan for our lives is and always has been that as we live and speak for Jesus, we would share in the sufferings of the Christ and then in his glory. 
and that along the way many would hear what we say, see how we live, ask the reason for our hope, and believe. I firmly believe that what we've been looking at this morning is one of the most important things for the church in this country to hear in our day. As we come out of a period of relative comfort in living the Christian life, into one in which we will be tested more and more for our faith. The question is, will we be cowed by that? Will we fall away? Will we shrink back for fear of suffering for Jesus? Or will we stand firm for him? The the church in this country will either crumble or advance, depending on how we answer that question. Imagine how forward our city, our country, and beyond could be changed if we really lived like this. When a small group of Middle Eastern men did, it changed the world. But it will only happen as we take to heart what Peter says here in 1 Peter 4.13. Do I want to share in Jesus' sufferings? You bet I do. Will I follow him? You bet I will. Because if I have a share in his sufferings now, I'll have a share in his glory, in his glory then. Because if I follow him, I'll end up where he is, and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. So friends, when we suffer for Jesus, let's not be surprised as though something strange is happening to us. But let's rejoice that we share in the sufferings of the Christ so that we may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Let's pray together. Loving Father, thank you that you don't leave us unprepared for the realities of the Christian life, that you give us the whole picture. Please help us to be prepared, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, to suffer for following Jesus. And when we do, would we not be thrown or surprised? Even though it's painful, help us to rejoice to have a share in Jesus. And keep us longing for the day when we'll see him at last and all will be well. In his precious name we pray, amen.